We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, uh, Holmgren had coached a lot of these players previously, and and so you, you certainly saw it there uh, watching the game back this week on, on YouTube. It was really interesting to see sort of how – how, how bottled up Steve Young was. In this game, he threw for 328 yards, but it took him 65 attempts, and he threw two interceptions. So, uh, you know, good good on Fritz Shermer and, 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 you know, the Packers staff uh, to really slow down what was one of the premier offenses in the NFL at the time. It's January 96, Packers at Niners. This is Remember That Game, the podcast about sporting events that take you on a journey and maybe chart the path of the zeitgeist. I'm your host, Thomas Emmerich, and my guest is Eric Eager, Vice President at Sumer Sports and co-host of the Sumer Sports Show. We recorded this episode in January of 2020, back when he was at PFF. Enjoy the show. With what clarity do you remember where you were when the Packers scored the upset as nine and a half point dogs? Uh, pretty clear. I, you know, 1995 was the first year that I watched football live, um, and I grew up a Vikings fan, but I also grew up hating the Packers. I grew up, and and that was the season where the uh, 49ers were coming off of a uh, Super Bowl title, um, and they kind of limped their way to the two seed. But I think we all thought uh, that the, the, uh, they would win this game. They were nine and a half point favorites coming in. They had a 52. This game had a 52 point over under. People expected a lot of scoring, and unfortunately, it took the Niners all the way until the end of the first half to even get their first points. So as a Vikings fan growing up, given the Packers were division rivals, but hadn't made any sort of run since the 60s. On the other hand, yeah, the Niners, not a division rival, but made you eat shit for the past seven years. How complicated were your rooting interests that day? Oh, I, I rooted for the Niners. I really liked Steve Young. I liked uh, the dual threat that he represented. I, you know, I it was too young to watch Montana live, you know. Um, and, and so Steve Young was really the first like West Coast quarterback that I got to watch. So I, I really wanted him uh, to play well. And, and then, of course, Jerry Rice, who I ended up growing up and being a, a high school and college wide receiver. And, and so uh, I, Jerry Rice is the first one I looked up to. And, you know, so I always rooted for San Francisco. It was more late yeah, 80s when the, the Niners knocked the Vikings out of the playoffs a couple years in a row after the Vikings knocked the Niners out. You had this weird, interesting like interconnection of matchups where yeah, the Niners owned the Vikings, who were you know put out a lot of playoff teams. The Packers seemed to own the Niners from that day going forward. The Cowboys and Niners went back and forth. Would you venture to guess that in the 90s, the game of schematic and personnel matchups were maybe a larger part of the equation in who wins and loses? 
Well, it's interesting, right? Because you talk about, you know, Holmgren was the head coach of the Niners. He was the offensive coordinator with George Seifert uh, once, uh, uh, I believe it was from 1990 on forward. Prior to that, he was the quarterback coach. And then Dennis Green was, of course, also on Walsh's staff. Um, so this was all these you know, sort of interconnected things. And I think um, there was a little bit to the fact that the Packers had the, the Niners number because, you know, uh, Holmgren had coached a lot of these players previously. And and so you, you certainly saw it there uh, watching the game back this week on, on YouTube. It was really interesting to see sort of how 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 bottled up Steve Young was in this game. He threw for 328 yards. It took him 65 attempts and he threw two interceptions. So, uh, you know, good, good on Fritz Shermer and, 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 you know, the Packers staff uh, to really slow down what was one of the premier offenses in the NFL at the time. Fritz Shermer had coached the Rams defense for much of the eighties. Got to see a lot of that Walsh offense, even though now it's, it's under, you know, Seifert and Trestman that year, but still a lot of same concepts. When I saw Steve run down 21-0, running for like a 47-yard run near the end of the half, and he had another play where he like ran straight toward the end zone and got creamed, I thought yeah. about something you said about Josh Allen, which is he, he runs like Mo Schrute. <laughs> and the Packers had Young running like Mo Schrute that day, which showed they were pretty desperate. Yeah, you look at this game, the, the Niners had, you know, kind of a respectable 87 yards rushing, but only five. So Derek Lavelle was the running back that took over for Ricky Waters, who left for the Eagles that year. Uh, they're, they're starting running back in the game at eight carries for five yards. And, and so most of the most of the ground game was Steve Young on scrambles. And he, yeah, he had that 141 yard run. Um, but, you know, mostly they contained him, um, you know, at, and really it was, you know, the, the fact is, is like the Niners really, that was one of their Achilles heel back then was after Waters left. They really didn't have a running back that could make the plays out of the backfield. Lavelle was a decent receiver, but not of Waters uh, caliber. And Derek, Adam Walker was the guy who caught the ball that got fumbled uh, for the right. first touchdown by Craig Newsom. So that was sort of sort of a place where you saw the Niners a season ago, you know, 94, brilliant in basically every part of offensive play, being a little bit more one-dimensional in 95. And then on the other side of the ball, they try to run 23 times with Edgar Bennett, only 51 yards going up against Stubblefield and Bryant there. Brett Favre basically carrying the day. I think at one point in the game, he was like 13 for 14 or something like that for like 200 yards. Absolutely. And he always brought out his best against the Niners, you know, 96 playoffs, 97 playoffs, even the 98 playoff game. He had the Niners on the ropes, and it took a Terrell Owens touchdown to break the streak uh, in the last minute. But, yeah, Favre, it was always so interesting, right, because there were games where you couldn't win with him. You know, he threw too many interceptions, but there were some games where he showed you why he would eventually become a Hall of Famer. He completed, I think that's 70% of his passes, or no, 75% of his passes, uh, over 10 yards in attempt, no interceptions, really overcame the fact that, yeah, they didn't have much on the ground. They were a very fun and, like, deep team. This was the year after... Rob, uh, uh, Sterling Sharp had to retire with his neck injury. So Robert Brooks had four catches for over 100 yards. Heath Jackson was a tight end. They picked up mid midseason. He had four catches for over 100 yards. Uh, and Mark Chimura brought in a touchdown. So they were a very like, deep offense, good offensive line. Uh, and, of course, obviously Brett Favre, the future Hall of Famer. Like one of my favorite coach-player relationships in history was Holmgren and Favre. It, was, it felt like a very father-son relationship where the, the father is constantly nervous with what his son's doing and very open about it. In the pregame, someone actually interviewed Holmgren on the sideline and, as usual, he said, hey, we just got to make sure we don't turn the ball over, which is you know, speaking directly to Favre. Yeah, absolutely. And there was, they, you know, they were only a year away 
Um, you know, Favre was the MVP in 95, um, but they were, you know, the prior season, there were the significant thoughts that uh, that Holmgren was going to actually bench Favre in place of Mark Brunel, who had actually went on and had a pretty good career himself. Brunel got drafted in the expansion draft by the, by the Jaguars the following year. Um, but, uh, you know, Favre, he grew up a lot over the 95 season, uh, and, you know, it, it showed a lot quite a bit in this game. And, yeah, to, to your point, the coach relationship with, with you know, Holmgren Favre was uh, one of the best probably we'll ever see. It seemed like, especially early on, and even some point in the second half when they did throw, they were really attacking Pete Carroll's adaptation on Seifert's defense with the tight ends hitting them in the seam, and then getting Chamora on that corner out. Do you feel like that, that kind of traces a little bit to how you attack Carroll's defenses today? Oh, that's a that's a good question. Um, oh, that's interesting. I, I have seen, you know, historically the Seattle Seahawks have struggled with wheel routes to the tight ends off play action, so that could certainly um, ha- have carried. Uh, I know the Niners, you know, when they lost – Deion Sanders that season from 94 to 95 they replaced him with Marquez Pope but most mostly their secondary I believe three of the four members of that secondary made the Pro Bowl that year in Merton Hanks Tim McDonald and Eric Davis so it was sort of the linebackers a little bit in coverage that were the weaker spot um, of otherwise what was a great defense and and good on uh, Holmgren for exploiting it. Carroll defenses like they rely on the, the linebackers and pattern mate matching a lot, and if the linebackers come through, the defense looks great. But it's a lot of stress, and uh, Packers got him in that play action. That uh, Pete Carroll, defensive coordinator that day, he owes the most to one mentor from his time both at the University of Arkansas and the Minnesota Vikings in the '80s when they knocked off the Niners. Do you know that mentor? Uh, Monte Kiffin. Yep. Terrific, terrific defensive coordinator eventually. But yeah, he, he uh, well, and, and with Minnesota as well. Um, so yeah, f- a fun, to, fun to sort of rehash that. So this starts a new segment I haven't tried before. Still workshopping the name, uh, but it's a segment called uh, That's Incestuous. And it's <laughs> about all the, the various coaching trees and the machinations and how that kind of shaped the matchups and who owned who in the 90s when the same teams kept bumping into each other in the playoffs. So Eagles coach that weekend uh, was also on the slate. Um, he was going to go against the Cowboys in the Sunday early game. Ray and he had, Yep. Coordinator for both the Packers and Niners. Yep. Uh, and his first offensive coordinator was this other Packers assistant who had been around in the early 90s for Ray John Rhodes. Gruden. Yep. The Packers tight end coach that day against the Niners were Keith Jackson, yeah, Mark Shamora tore up the Niners. That really keyed the offense along with Robert Brooks. Tight end showed out that day. Their tight end coach would go on to be a head coach and eventually hire the nephew of that day's Packers defensive coordinator, Fritz Shermer. Uh, Andy Reid. Yep. So Fritz Shermer, defensive coordinator that day, came up with the West Coast beater for that time. Uh, it also developed a, a big nickel when he was with Arizona in the early 90s and uh, was able to, a lot, a lot in the second half, just rush three guys, play some underneath zone, and then get other guys in man. Fritz Shermer with a, a masterpiece day that kind of goes underrated, I feel like. This Niners defensive coordinator, coordinator that day would eventually groom a man who would later become a Niners defensive coordinator. Oh, so uh, Pete Carroll, Robert Salah. Yep. 
this weekend in January 96, you could get brutalized by the teaser, potentially. Some pretty wild things happening. The NFC, no one loses at home in the divisional round at that time. If you try to tease the the Niners down from the nine and a half, you, you lose. On the other side of the bracket, you have the Chiefs as favorites at home as the number one seed against the Colts. The Chiefs going in as eight-point favorites. You try to tease that down. Well, they lost at home to the, the Colts. Chiefs didn't even score eight points in the game, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, thing, yeah, something that tracks from 96 to now is that, yeah, the Chiefs, yeah, we're the one seed at home, but 25th in passing offense that year. First in defense, but 25th in passing offense. They lose their first game at home in the playoffs. And then, you know, Steelers blow out the Bills. They, they I guess it was a close game. They knock out Jim Kelly. You're basically in a better position that weekend if you just take the Steelers, lay a bunch of points. You take the Cowboys, they, they blow out the Eagles, lay a bunch of points. But you try to tease down the Niners and the Chiefs, and you have two uh, highly seeded teams at home getting upset. And that's the tricky part about it. Uh, as you said, what tracks back to this year is Kansas City won with defense. And I think Tamaric Van, like the Chiefs in 95 won, I believe, three or four of their games in overtime. And and they had like three or four punt return touchdowns and a lot of defensive touchdowns. And of course, that's so unstable that in the playoffs, uh, a team with a slightly better offense in Indianapolis and Jim Harbaugh went in to Kansas City. And uh, Kansas City's kicker missed, I believe, three field goals in that game, too. So just kind of a, uh, a string of bad luck for Kansas City. I don't think that Kansas City had a receiver anywhere close top 50 or 60 in receiving yards. The Chiefs did have the, the modern-day Austin Eckler, or the, the, the proto-Austin Eckler, I should say, in, in Kimball Anders. That's right. Yeah, he was, a, he was a very good player. Those Chiefs, interestingly, I believe, were plus over 100 in turnover differential for the decade. Uh, really hard to sustain that, but somehow the Chiefs did it uh, under Barty Schottenheimer and eventually uh, the late Gunther Cunningham. Steve Bono, yeah. like he had a backup quarterback who came in to throw some passes that day. This backup quarterback also came in in the late 80s when the Niners were getting, uh, or the Niners were routing the Vikings in the playoffs. Do you know who yeah, that backup? Yeah, uh, future Super Bowl, or sorry, future NFL MVP, Rich Gannon. Yeah, eventually I, he found that West Coast offense with, with Gruden. Uh, but in the early 90s, a guy who just as likely to throw more interceptions as touchdowns, would he be the proto-Ryan Fitzpatrick up until that point? Yeah, I'd have to say that. <laughs> and, and I think Ryan Fitzpatrick and Jameis would fit in so much better in the 95s than they would have in you know nowadays. When interceptions are a little bit more acceptable back then. They're not so much right now. Again, was on some teams where he would come in, play well, and then, yeah, just suddenly get benched on the Vikings, or he'd get suddenly benched on, on Washington, come in, he'd be 5-1 and one with the Chiefs, and then finding himself uh, benched over and over again. Eventually finds his John Gruden. Is there any hope Ryan Fitzpatrick finds his John Gruden? Uh, I think it's probably the end for him, and, and but at the same time, you could see, you could make the argument that, that somebody like Winston would be, uh, you know, kind of more of a Gannon. Um, right. But but yeah, the hard part is is the the way that the rules are structured now. Teams don't have the incentive to carry a third quarterback. So Gannon was the Vikings' third quarterback behind uh, Wade Wilson and Tommy Kramer for like three four years. Never got on the field. Never got on the field. Finally got a chance. Like by now, like there aren't that many quarterbacks who sit on the bench for four years. You're either a, a top pick who gets a chance to play right away. Or you're you're kind of a practice squad guy that gets shuffled around a bunch and you don't really see them. Uh, there are you know obviously clear exceptions, 
Um, but but it's just tougher now for guys like Gannon to make way because they're not being stashed as the third quarterback on a team anymore. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. But yeah, DraftKings was around. Again, it would be like a 4K quarterback today as a backup. You have a slate with Buffalo at Pittsburgh, you know, Green Bay at San Francisco, Philly at Dallas, Colts at Chiefs. I imagine you just stack Packers, Niners, and then keep away from the rest, or maybe maybe you sprinkle some on Dallas a bit. But an interesting well, weekend. Philly had just come off of scoring, I believe, 50, 57 points on the Lions the previous week. With Rodney uh, Pete. In the game with in the game where Lomas Brown guaranteed a victory for the Detroit, so maybe some people were a little bit high on uh, were a little bit high on the the Lions going into that day, but or sorry the the Eagles going into that day, uh, but ultimately Rodney Pete got injured after five plays, uh, and Randall Cunningham came in, I believe, like just literally off right out of the hospital with his wife had a baby or something like oh, that, wow. and he uh, he did not cl- he he struggled to acclimate to the John Gruden offense. Let's just say. It's interesting. You have him coming in for that John Gruden offense, and then he ends up, yeah, coming in with the the Vikings a few years later, taking over for more of a West Coast quarterback and Brad Johnson. And then you know Dennis Green's a Walsh guy, but it seems like the Vikings offense would end up being transformed by Randall Cunningham. Yeah, they were very much more a, a vertical passing game, power running team uh, under Green. He was less of a West Coast guy. In fact, when he was when he started out with Minnesota, he merged. The Washington, like the Joe Gibbs, uh, his uh, first offensive coordinator was straight from Washington was Jack Burns, uh, and then he got replaced by Bill uh, uh, by Brian Billick, and those guys were you know sort of more of a vertical passing uh, game, uh, power running game team with a good offensive line. So uh, interestingly, he did not bring the West Coast offense with him. You know, some teams fared well against that West Coast, um, like the, the Cowboys, Jim Johnson Cowboys, and then, you know, all the assistants he brought. University of Miami to Dallas, some stuck around after Jimmy left. You know, a succession of, you know, Dave Wanstead and then Butch Davis taking over and Dave Campo. 
all with Jimmy Johnson at Miami, all with these Cowboys squads from the early to mid-90s. Outside of that one conference championship against San Francisco, kind of owning the Niners, kind of owning Holmgren and the Packers, too. Do you think there's anything to just the Cowboys kind of having the number of that type of offense? Uh, I think it was just a, a really a talent issue, right? Like when you look okay. at, they, they had all the Minnesota Vikings first round picks for all those years. Uh, Russell Maryland was one of them. Obviously, Leon Lett, they had uh, Tony Tolbert, uh, you know, Dixon Edwards, Robert Jones, Darren Smith. They, they got Deion Sanders. You know, Larry Brown was an un, like a late, like an eighth round guy back when that existed. And he turned out to be a player. Jaron Woodson was a Vikings draft pick that they ended up getting. So I think they were just far more talented as a team. I think the, the Troy Aikman in a later interview said that they got worse. They got more poorly coached every single season. Um, but even they, they won a Super Bowl with Barry Switzer, um, you know, just because they were more talented than everybody. And this was a, you know, a classic example, 95, uh, their last Super Bowl. Anytime I watch anything about the mid-90s Cowboys and hear Troy Aikman talk about Barry Switzer, it's it ranges from passive-aggressive to very aggressive. Yes, it was. Unfortunately, I think that the, the Cowboys could have accomplished a lot more if, if Jimmy and Jerry could have gotten along, but uh, that, that's sort of how it goes, I guess. Yeah, Jimmy, Jerry, and Barry, what do they have in common from before they were together at Dallas? Uh, well, they Arkansas. Yep, teammates yeah, at Arkansas. They all, played, they all played for Arkansas, yeah. Jerry hiring people that, that feel like a brother and having difficulty firing someone who feels like a son. Right. Well, and then and and interestingly, with Garrett interviewing for the OC job for uh, the the New York Giants, he was uh, he he also went to the Giants as well. So he he's he might end up with two teams that like view him as a former player and as you said, a son. <laughs> it seemed like Holmgren. Uh, you know, some coaches like Belichick you know, struggle against former assistants. Flores, you know, now Vrabel. Holmgren would eat his Cubs. Niners upset ninety six. Uh, January 96, they'd go on to beat them two more years in a row and then nearly win on them again, save for the catch. Do you think the 90s Cowboys may be more like Belichickian in that regard of having of struggling with their former assistants? Wanstead goes 2-1. and one, yeah, That's a small sample. 2-1 and one against the Cowboys. North Turner had a stretch in the mid-90s where he went to the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. Is it like one of those things where it's a very good team and how you – beat them is maybe something to having a former assistant yeah there could be certainly something to that at you know um it you know ultimately it's all it's mostly how the players perform on the field but yet it's certainly something that you could you could think about uh i know with um you know the belichick entry for example there are just a lot of things that only belichick teaches his guys to do and so if they could turn that back on him it's probably pretty valuable so Packers owned the yeah, Niners in that stretch in the mid to late 90s. They ended up yeah, beating the Niners again in a wild card in the early 2000s. I think Mariucci, the catch two was his only win against the Packers and had a number of losses, including another playoff loss with Garcia. In the last decade, that kind of flipped McCarthy and Rodgers going against Greg Roman and uh, Jim Harbaugh. You know, I would say starting in 2012 things just got a little bit stale with with McCarthy and we were having all this conversation because McCarthy's a new a new head coach again but you know the the way that they the way that they drew up their defense in 2012 to try to stop 
Colin Kaepernick was simply just not good enough. Uh, and and unfortunately, he kept capers for like another three, four years. Um, but they had like sort of Eric Walden trying to play one on one with Colin Kaepernick in space. And that just had a, a repeatable and predictable outcome uh, in 2013. I'm trying to think of in 2013, it was very much the same thing where, you know, Kaepernick getting out of the pocket really hurt uh, the Green Bay Packers. Now, the Packers also had a home game at eight, seven and one. I think I think the Niners that year were at least like 11 and five. So or 13 and three or something like that. So it was just the Niners were simply a better team. And I think that that carried, um, you know, further on, even though. Yeah. Interestingly, McCarthy was a 49ers assistant prior to Harbaugh. And then, uh, you know. Uh, and and weirdly had like the worst offense in the NFL the year before yeah. he became the Packers coach. Yeah, that's one of those interesting head coaching moves where like it works out, but at the time everyone says, well, he was with an offense that performed badly last year. Are you more skeptical or less skeptical when it comes to how good the offense was for the coach that is now you know getting a promotion? I think calling plays is a different skill set than being the head coach if you're going to be like a normal head coach that doesn't call plays. So part of me thinks that, you know, you can get by with it. But there's also certainly, um, you know, an issue with the guy. You know, I, I want the guy to have been successful in a number of places. Now, McCarthy was successful with Aaron Brooks in New Orleans prior um, and, and so maybe it could have just been a one-year blip. Oftentimes, these coaches are sought after for a long time, and they're only – you know, they're only uh, acquired after a bad season because that's when they're available. That's like how Brad Childress was uh, for Philadelphia. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm at, you know, I obviously want the guy to be a good, a good coach, but I, and I don't necessarily know if his, you know, immediate previous season as a play caller is all that indicative of it. A couple questions harkening back to the, the game in the, uh, January 96 with the segue that that weekend, Mike McCarthy was involved as quarterbacks coach for the Chiefs who went 25th in passing offense obviously he'd have much more success with Aaron Rodgers than than Bono but in that game the the Niners down 21 to 3 Steve Young QB sneaks from the one would you guess that this was minus EV down multiple touchdowns in the first half the Niners were continuing to punt. Was there any point in watching that first half where you're like, they had like one of today's analytics teams on that staff, maybe they're going for it as the eventually the Packers you know, score again and make it 21-0? Yeah, so for example, you know, in the second quarter, I believe they had a fourth and one from their own 45 when they were down 21 nothing. I don't think there's any way that a team doesn't go for it today, no matter how uh, blunt that team is. Um uh, you know, they had a fourth and three from Green Bay's three. They kicked the field goal to go down 18. Uh, I think both of those decisions would probably be uh, widely criticized if, if that were the case now. This has been another episode of Remember That Game. Please rate, review, subscribe, and check out more episodes.